Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Crimelanders, thank you so much for tuning in again today. You are in for such a treat. Today's guest is the brilliant Roger Sullivan, brother of Julianella. Hello, Julianella. Roger is one of my favourite comedians. He is so funny. Utterly gas, recently nominated for the BBC New Comedy Award. He also has a deadly podcast called Unexplained Legends, which you might want to check out. Uh, he's just a very funny guy, really lovely person, and I had such a giggle on today's episode today. I often ask myself with court people, like, I always find court people so funny. I often say to my good old buddy, Laura Matney, who I'm sure you know, if you don't know her, get to know her. She's on Instagram, hilarious human being. But I do often say to Laura when I'm sitting, listening to a court comedian, and invariably I will be pissing myself, and I'll say to her, listen, I don't know, like, is it a case of, am I funny or am I just from Cork? Remember a few years ago, Chris Kent in a bit where he talked about, I went to the shop for a yap. And everyone in the tent, I was in this uh, very big comedy festival in Dublin at the time, everyone in the tent pissed themselves when Chris came out with this sentence. And a Corkonian friend of mine who was sitting with me said, I don't get it. He is literally just saying, I went to the shop for a yap in a regional accent. Like, why are we all so Dublin-centric? But I was like, but it's the Cork accent, though. It just makes everything funnier so am I funny or am I just from Cork you will be asking yourself this question after today's episode because Roger is utterly hilarious very funny indeed uh, quick disclaimer as well that some of the themes we discussed today may not be to everyone's tastes and may be distressing for some listeners I do think today's episode is reasonably tame in comparison to some of our other episodes so it shouldn't be too distressing for people but who am I to say if it's distressing or not anyway look regardless we always strive to discuss these topics in a human and empathetic way if you would like to support Crimeland and I guess grow our little community of Crimelanders the best way is to just subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast I love the way I can much like Katie Price I can't say the word subscribe subscribe um, also, if you want to rate or review us, again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, that really, really helps. 
And also probably the best way you can support us is just by recommending us to your friend. So that really is the best way to grow our community of Crimelanders. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for all your love and support. My apologies. I did miss last week because I went off in a little holly bobs and I left my podcast equipment at home. But I think that was the universe's way of intervening and saying, you know what, Julie, you're on a family honey bobs. I don't think you need to be sitting in your bedroom talking about murder. So look, guys, you're in for such a treat today. I think you're really going to enjoy the episode. And do check out Roger O Comedy, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Bebo, MySpace. He's on all the hotspots. Roger O'Sullivan, he is destined for very big things. Enjoy your episode. My name is Jeannie J, and this week I'm talking to the brilliant Roger O'Sullivan about the Mad Trapper of Rat River. Roger, it's such a pleasure to have you. You're one of my favorite comedians. Just so you know, as well, I do do like a gushy insert at the start, but I never have the comedian there for it because I always feel like it's kind of like you're listening to your own obituary. So I am going to do that after the fact, in, in case you think I'm just going in here cold. No, no, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm only going to listen back to that bit. <laughs> so, so we're, we're, we're going, it's all going to work out in the wash. Oh, okay, great. Fantastic. I mean, I think that still counts as a download. So thank you so yeah. much, Roger. Roger, I'm going to dive right in, if that's okay. Let me tell yeah. you about the Mad Trapper of Rat River. Now, Albert Johnson, also known as the Mad Trapper, was an outlaw, Roger, like ourselves, if I might just throw it out there. Um, an outlaw like ourselves. And he, like, there's an awful lot we don't know about Albert. We don't know where he was born. We think he was born between, like, 1890 and 1900. He was either Canadian or could have been Scandinavian. So, like, what I'm saying is the details are scant. I mean, essentially, that's, like, half the world. And we don't know where he was born specifically, but on the 31st of December, 1931, a Mountie, so a Royal Canadian Mountain Policeman, investigating a complaint about trap lines, was shot and seriously wounded by a trapper living west of Fort MacPherson in Canada. So just to explain, so um, this was kind of in the area of like the Yukon Valley. So obviously at the time, bit of context, we're talking, you know, it's like the Great Depression era. There's a lot of unemployment. There's a lot of poverty. Very challenging time for people. And an awful lot of people were heading to this area around the Yukon. And essentially, it was a bit of a gold rush. So it attracted a lot of people, I guess, trying to chance their arm, make a few bob. And trappers, as the name would suggest, were basically people who trapped animals for fur, for food, etc. And this policeman was investigating a complaint because there were certain places that they could set traps and certain places that they couldn't. So what he was investigating was fairly innocuous, essentially like that somebody was accused of placing traps where they shouldn't. And it turned 
very volatile very quickly because the person in question, this trapper, aka Albert Johnson, turned on this policeman, turned on this Mountie and attacked him, which was something really not expected. Well, I love this already because, first of all, just the Yukon area, like all that kind of, it, it, it gives me that kind of, you know, that like Twin Peaksy type vibes. Oh, like yes. The, the pine woods, and it's very atmospheric. And then the, the moment you started saying as well, Julie, that like we don't know a lot about the guy, I love that because we can just make up whatever, we, you know, we, like we can just say, he, he could be whatever, whatever we want him to be. That, you know you what? Know. Like, that's very Julia Roberts, pretty woman of you. What's your name? Whatever you want it to be. Roger, I have to say, when you mentioned Twin Peaks, I'm like, are we flirting now? Like, this is so <laughs> Twin Peaks vibes. You are spot on. It is very Twin Peaky. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm honestly, if there's not a red room and, <laughs> and a dapper man in a suit by the end of this, I'll be, I'll be very disappointed. Well, hold on in there, Roger. So on the 7th of July, 1931, Trappers, William and Edward Snowshoes. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> are you names. joking me? You're no, joking Snowshoes. Me. These were their names. Okay. Well, now bear in mind, Roger, before I press record, we did discover what name were you choosing as your confirmation name? Oh, I wanted, I wanted to go with Gubnus. So listen, I don't think we're, we should, now, look, we did talk about the fact that like essentially our secondary school, you know, our place within the secondary school popularity pyramid was kind of sealed by the kids who chose Gubnus and the kids who chose? Blaze. Blaze. Yeah. Those smart feckers who found out that there was a saint called Blaze. What were we doing with our lives, Roger? Yeah, I feel, I feel as well that I think it's surprising in hindsight that nobody picked any, like, any of those kind of uh, Medici-type names. Oh, yes. You I know, think Michelangelo. There's no, no Michelangelos or Antonios. But you know what? Because I think, um, now I've, I th- you know, hopefully, like, obviously, I think Irish kids now do have a bit more confidence. But back then, like, I think nobody had the balls to be picking Michelangelo, did they? Like, you were essentially, like, you were really guaranteeing a life of just getting the shit kicked out of you if you had the balls to pick Michelangelo as your confirmation name. I think, I think the only, the only street cred I think it would have given you is the crossover with the Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. And you know, weirdly, the Ninja Turtles, I know they all look the same, but I, I did kind of fancy Michelangelo. I don't know what that was about. I know I, he was just a, an animated turtle. I don't know. Well, he's a party chaos? dude. He was. He's a party yeah, dude. You're right. You know, yeah. and Julie, let's be honest, that's your, like, it, <laughs> when I see Fred, I think Michelangelo. Yeah, no, to be fair, like he, yeah, no, he definitely is. Out of all the turtles, he would be Michelangelo, wouldn't he? I have, do you know, I have married Michelangelo in a way. William and Edward Snowshoes, we're we're here for it. Encountered a stranger they mistakenly called Albert Johnson at a camp on the Peel River near Fort McPherson, which was like the Northwest Territories, as we said, like near the Yukon, etc. It was the name by which he would be known thereafter. On the 21st of July, so a couple of weeks later, when I love the way I do maths for people. It's like, Judy, I can work it out. I'm like, no, I want you to know that I've worked this out. And that's yeah. two weeks later, just so you know. So, 
well, oof, okay, Roger's going to play that <laughs> game. Okay, uh, a fortnight, if you will. When Johnson was in Fort McPherson to purchase supplies, this policeman, Edgar Millen, briefly questioned him about what he was up to. Although Johnson said very little and kind of didn't want to give direct answers, Millen just said to him, listen, just so you know, if you want to set traps, that's fine, but you need to buy a license and let him go in his way. Johnson then moved to tra the trapping grounds of the Rat River and he built like a small log cabin there. On Christmas Day, local First Nation trappers complained to the Mountie police at the Arctic Red River post that Johnson had been interfering with their trap lines. Three days later, Constable Alfred King and Special Constable, Constable Joe Bernard arrived at Johnson's cabin to question him. Johnson refused to open the door or even speak to King, who then had to travel 120 28 kilometers to Aklavik to obtain a search warrant. So we're talking about a place that was like really like the Wild West in the sense that it was obviously very mountainous, very rural. Like this guy had to travel 128 kilometers to get to the police station to get the search warrant. So, you know, just doing a bit of a timeline there, like it's not a very speedy res police response. Do you think, Julie, that uh, like I assume that the 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 place where he had to go to get the warrant must have been a more built up area. Do you think that he just wanted an excuse to go night on the town? Well, do you know, he probably said, look, there's not much happening tonight by Rat River, so I wouldn't mind a pint. Like, there e easily could have been a bit of that. Like, absolutely. Yeah. They're I saying, we'll send it. And he's going, <laughs> no, 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 I'll come get it. Sure, you want to leave Rat River? Yeah, no, look, yeah. if I have to, duty calls. Yeah. yeah. So he went off on his horse with all his dogs, because that's what Mounties do. And he went off for the night, returned the neck. Now, this is the thing. Do you know what? You might be right about him going on the lash, because I've only noticed this now. He didn't return for three days. So he was definitely on a bit of a session for sure. Come on. That's I the mean, classic. come on. He returns 31st of December, along with R.D. McDowell and another constable called La Lazarius Sita Chinley, which I think pronunciation on point, if I do say so myself. He's picked he up lads on the night out. He's brought them all, Julie. <laughs> he's he has a few buddies now here. He says, "Listen, wait till I show you Rat River. Like it's just such a great spot. It's the longest distance pub crawl of all time." <laughs> King knocked at the door. Um, so he knocked at the door, and Johnson responded by firing a shot, which actually struck King in the chest. So the other officers were really not expecting this at all. They obviously open fire. There is an exchange of gunfire with Johnson and they then put King on a dog sled for a desperate race to the hospital in Aklavik, which as we've already established is 128 kilometers away. So quite a trek. This has all gone awry, but thankfully King survived. However, like goes out saying the police were absolutely astounded that Johnson would shoot an officer over a minor issue, like a trapping violation. Like this was not a serious crime. And they obviously copped very quickly that he was an extremely dangerous individual. And because of this, the Mountie police expenditure Alexander Eames personally led a police 
posse to arrest Johnson. In Eames's company were Constables Millen and McDowell, uh, Constables Bernard and Sitichinley, Newt Lang, Ernest Sutherland and Carl Gardland, and First Nations guide Charlie Rash. So this was um, his kind of, I suppose, his family area, hence the name Rat River. So he was a First Nations guide. So he essentially like obviously had to guide all these you know, whiteies through this land yeah. that they, let's face it, were not really that good at navigating. So they needed to obviously get a bit of help from this First Nations guide. And you know what, when I read this, these stories, it always breaks my heart because when you think how the First Nations people were then treated by the authorities in Canada and obviously so many other countries in the world, well, it just kind of breaks your heart, doesn't it? I was surprised to begin with that they, because I think you said that the people who reported him messing with their traps. We're First, Nations, with, we're First people. Nation people. Yeah. I was I was surprised that, that the Mounties actually reacted as quickly as they did because I, I would have thought that they'd be even they they just say we, we don't care because obviously like you said the uh, the terrible things that that's true that is true actually I, I think there was definitely a vibe like from what I've read and I'll be honest you know have I read numerous books on this no but what I've read from scrolling through my phone it seems to be like because like obviously there was a lot of really bad shit going on but there was also this mentality of like I guess that kind of wild west mentality final frontier that I, I suppose unlikely alliances can form as well in terms of people People actually kind of helping one another out and responding in a way that you might not understand given that like you know you look back and you think Jesus there were like some really awful things happening and being done to those peoples but yet that kind of mindset of we're all in this together as well yeah, like in yeah. this like kind of final frontier northwest territories like you're talking about like a really just a really kind of I suppose unwelcoming unfriendly landscape you know this is like really extreme landscape like when we think of Canada and the north of Canada you're really talking about like the end of the world here as such and um, so the police party then they reached Johnson's cabin on the 9th of January Johnson who had fortified the cabin in the interim responded to Eames's demand to surrender with gunfire armed with a rifle and a shotgun Johnson drove back repeated attempts to storm the cabin on the 10th of January the police dynamite blowing off the cabin's roof and partially collapsing its walls amazingly Johnson was unhurt and continued to fire at the police with the temperature at minus 43 degrees celsius and food for men and dogs running low Eames made the decision to withdraw and to go back to Aklavik Millen and Garland returned to the cabin on the 14th of January and found shock horror that Johnson had fled snowfall had covered his tracks so this is like unbelievable this guy has managed to fight off numerous policemen who have like attacked his cabin with dynamite and Johnson is still standing and they have to retreat like this is insane i i i haven't ever come across this level of tenacity i have i well i i have a little bit of respect for him well 
you would not be the only one. Yes, I was going to say. So what's really interesting about this case is, so this guy, I think part of it as well is because we don't have a lot of details about who he was as an individual. There's this air of like kind of almost urban myth to this guy. He was essentially immediately viewed as like this outlaw hero. I think one thing that helped was as well that like his initial crime seemed to be, you know, relatively petty. And his one man stand against the police had drawn the attention of the media, which labeled him, quote, the mad trapper of Rat River. The public, who, of course, at this point now, were really in the depths of the Great Depression. Like, they were suffering hugely. Obviously, there was a lot of unrest, a lot of people really unhappy with the response of the government. They really sympathized with this guy. And, like, the police were not getting a lot of support here at all. Like, they really viewed him as this like outlaw hero. Eames stated that Johnson was not a quote demented trapper, but it, now this is interesting. The, the policeman himself involved said that he was a shrewd and resolute man, a tough and desperate character. So as the Northern drama unfolded, the public eagerly awaited the latest developments. But even the police's commentary there, I think fed into this idea like that this guy was a bit of a hero for want of a better yeah. word. He's a bit of like a this kind of everyman type character that he's he he's doing what we all wish we could do and two two fingers up to the to the authorities type. Well thing. yeah, I mean I say that as a guard's daughter, you know, I'm all about like two oh. fingers to authorities, but am I though when it comes to it? because when I see the guards I think okay everything's going to be grand, but I am conscious that like most people when they see the guards are like oh feck Whereas I'm like, oh, you know, yay, the guards are here. You know, in secondary school once, uh, me and my friends, we used to hang around, uh, you know, just like the town after uh, after secondary school. And one, to, one time we'd gone to like the local GameStop and I bought a game called Oblivion on the, on the PS3 for like 10 euro or something like that. And as we were walking back at night to my friend's house so that we could play it, the guard stopped us. No. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, what's in your bag? What's in your bag? And I said, oh, it's, it's oblivion. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't being smart or anything. This guard's eyes lit up, Julie. Like, he's like, I've never heard of this street drug. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to just make it right to the top. Like, I'll be, I'll be superintendent. And the look on his face as he snatched the bag from my hands and pulled out, like, what he said, oh, it's a DVD. He and then put it back in. Oh, yeah, bless and he, him. He, he like he told us he basically told us fuck off. Like he was furious at us after. Well, I mean, let's face it. Like he's probably now spent many a day. What part of Cork are you from, by the way? Again, Roger. Oh, I'm from uh, I'm from Coachford originally, but that would have been Ballincollig. I would have been hanging around. Ballincollig. So just for our international listeners, I think it's safe to say Ballincollig is effectively the northwest territories of Cork. Would I be correct? Yeah. No. That's that's. 100% accurate. Yeah. It's, it's Wild West. So this is like your Albert Johnson. This policeman is effectively a Mountie. Like this is his make or break story. As you say, this could take him to superintendent with Oblivion. And it turns out it's uh, just a DVD. Oh. I, I'd be lying. I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say that I did become a bit of a folk hero in, <laughs> in the local area as a result of it, you know. One man, one man stand against the, the Gardaí and his PS3 game. And you know what? Can I just say you still are a folk hero, Goodness. Just remember that. <laughs> 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, let me tell you, Roger, the police face the prospect of searching for Johnson in a 260-kilometer square area between the Mackenzie River in the east and the Richardson Mountains in the west. Eames' second posse of police included Sutherland Cicciolini, Noel Vareville, Sergeants Earl Hersey and R.F. Riddle of the Royal Canadian Corps of Signals and also 11 First Nations trackers. They joined Constable Edgar Millen and Garland at the Rat River. By 20, the 21st of January, the searchers had still not found Johnson's trail because of all the snowfall and supplies were again running low. Eames left Millen, Garland, Vareville and Riddle to continue the hunt while he and the others returned to Aklavik. Millen got a break when a First Nations hunter reported he'd heard a rifle shot in the Bear River vicinity. Guessing that it might have been Johnson's shooting game, Millen led his party in that direction. On the 30th of January, the police finally caught up to Johnson. Millen called on him to surrender and Johnson opened fire with a rifle. A gunfight ensued and Johnson actually killed Millen with a shot through the heart. Their surviving members of the police group thought that they had Johnson trapped, but once again he escaped under cover of darkness by climbing, wait for this, an almost vertical cliff. It was almost 90 degrees and he managed to climb it to get away. uh, Honestly my respect grows you know and and i can see the kinship between me and him now i can well why do you I think can, i picked you it. for this one roger i've seen you climb 90 degree cliffs i said there's only one man for this job and that's when people, roger when people see me julie they think the words that come to their mind it's like you know rugged uh <laughs> ca- you know callous hands they're thinking survivalist, they're thinking survivalist. yes yes they're um, so I, I can see why why you thought that I, I'm I'm suitable for this for this it's, story. Roger, you're ticking all the boxes. I'm telling you. Yeah. So Johnson had already proved himself to be resourceful with remarkable stamina. He confounded his pursuers with tricks like backtracking and leaving blind trails. Where possible, he followed caribou trails, an effective way of disguising his own tracks. He found his way through underbrush that seemed impenetrable. Johnson had to stop to snare small game for food, and in the extreme cold, he could risk building only small fires under the cover of snowbanks. He travelled in weather that kept even experienced First Nations hunters in their camps and used the terrain to his advantage at every opportunity. One veteran trapper put it as uh, the quote being, it is rough enough just staying alive under these conditions, let alone having to be on the run. 
Eames requested the use of an airplane to help crack, track Johnson. So this would be the first time that Mountie police used aircraft in a manhunt. On the 5th of February, renowned bush pilot Wilfred Wap May landed in Aklavik in a Belenka monoplane. His participation was vital as he got men and supplies to strategic locations and searched for Johnson's trail from the air. His work spared the men on the ground the grueling task of obviously following him on foot and, you know, Johnson had left these blind trails as well. So it was just proving really difficult for them. On the 9th of February, a blizzard grounded his plane though and kept ground patrols in their camps. Three days later, the police received the astonishing report that under harrowing conditions, Johnson had somehow managed to cross the Richardson Mountains. So they could not believe this. On the 14th of February, May, who was the pilot, spotted Johnson's trail where the Eagle and Bell Rivers joined. Fog kept May on the ground for the next two days, but Eames led a party of 11 men, including Garland, Sichleni, Riddle and Hersey, up the Eagle River, leaving directional markers on the ground for May. On the 17th of February, he could get up into the air again and was overhead when the police overtook Johnson on a hairpin bend of the frozen river. At first, Johnson tried to run, but then threw himself down in the snow and opened fire, using his backpack for cover. He disregarded Eames' shouts for him to give up. Johnson shot her seat, though not fatally. Directed by signals from May, the pilot, the police spread out and caught Johnson in a crossfire. Johnson was hit several times, with one fatal bullet severing his spine. A post-mortem was performed on Johnson's body. Do you want to take a guess where they performed the, the what township they performed the post-mortem in, Roger? Oh, I'd be shocked if it wasn't Eclifluk. Eclifluk. Or... Have I established how it's pronounced? No. Is there only one town mentioned to this story, whole story? Yes. Could I have taken the time to check how it's said? Yes, but come on. That's not my brand. That's not, that's not what they're here for, Julie. That is not, every now and again you get a um, a podcast review saying great podcast but I don't know does she do a lot of research <laughs> no I do not <laughs> um, so yes the postmortem was done and he was buried in the local cemetery at the time of his death he possessed $2,410 in Canadian currency which was a lot in those times yeah, Ten, yeah. like 3 million euro I think now in today's it, money well I don't I don't even have that value not even adjusted for inflation. <laughs> so I was already Aww. thinking, wow, that's that's good. And then then when you when you said how much is it worth now? Oh, three million. I checked. Yeah, don't I don't have I don't quite have that either. He's well, I'll tell you what, inflation, that's a whole other crime land where I just get someone on and they just tell me what inflation is. Okay, I need to know. He also had, in case he was traveling, he had ten dollars in American currency, which is always handy to have, you know, if you're going on your Hollybobs. Five pearls, which intrigues me. Yeah. And a small amount of gold that included pieces of dental work. No clue to his ID was found on his person or in his cabin. His fingerprints matched none in Canadian or American police files. So in other words, he didn't have a police record. And his real identity remains a mystery. 
Recently, his remains were exhumed by a forensic team and submitted for DNA analysis for a TV documentary which aired in 2009. Results of the scientific testing suggest that Johnson was either American or Scandinavian. So we're narrowing it down to like 50% of the world there. And in his 30s when he was killed. Um, ultimately, the results put several claims and theories regarding jo Johnson's identity to rest. That... Roger Sullivan is the story of Albert Johnson, aka the Mad Trapper of Rat River. It's a it's a really interesting story, isn't it? I I love it. I'd love to see uh, a kind of a mini series of it. Oh, hang on! I'm just going to record this and send this straight to D Forbes and RTE. You'd love to see oh, what, yeah, Roger? Yeah. A, a mini series. I mean, hosted by you, of course. Of course. I mean, it's a given yeah. because my knowledge it, is, I mean, I'm so keen. I am, and dare I say, an expert. Yeah. It would, be, it, it would be like really the, 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 what I have in my head, it would be like a really high standard HBO type uh, version retelling this story. But for some reason, you would be, you'd introduce it every episode. You'd oh, come in. And you'd go, I'd love that. Yeah. And, and you'd go, just so you know now what you're going to watch today. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe that's what's missing from these Netflix documentaries. Like, it'd be nice if someone could just come in at the top and be like, sorry, I'm late. Listen, this is what's happening today. Just so you know. Yeah. I think instead of on Netflix, instead of them doing the, the thing, you know, the, oh, this contains the you know, mild drug use or whatever, you know, violence, whatever. It should be you overlaid on top and you should go, you'll never guess. <laughs> You'll never guess what there is drugs in this. Somebody gets stabbed. Uh, oh, I wasn't meant to say that. But pearls. The... We might yes, have some pearls. I, the pearls. The pearls for me, I thought, I thought, okay, I like, because I kind of think he's keeping them in case a woman kind of takes his fancy. I know. Do you know, I think, I think he was a planner. I do think he was a bit of a planner. Yeah, I think, I think it ultimately... I have a lot of respect for him. I didn't even pick up on the fact that he was 30 while he was doing all this climbing. Well, it's like, it's definitely, you know, you can understand why he was such a folk here at the time. I, but like, I guess people were just surprised because ultimately, like, it was kind of like your TV license expector rocking up saying you need to get a TV license. Like, it was that level of intrusion into his life. Like, and he responded in such a dramatic way. I think people were just like, whoa. Especially because I find Canadians quite chill anyway. So I think they really were like, if you wouldn't mind getting the license. You know, that was the vibe. And then it kind of, I mean, it became like this insane manhunt across the Northwest Territories. I was expecting, because of that reaction, I was expecting you to come out at some stage with like a story that he was previously on the run. But I was really shocked when you said that there was no, he basically had no criminal record. No record. I mean, and that's why he's such a mystery. Nobody knows anything about the guy. Um, but like, I guess, and it is that whole kind of like the Wild West landscape, the fact that he got away so many times. I mean, unbelievable. Like even the fact that they had the 11 First Nations guides and he was even outmaneuvering them, which is incredible. I've rarely said this in my life, but it's made me want to write a folk song. <gasps> Roger. Oh, listen, do you know what? If I've achieved nothing else from this podcast. Like I, I, I've never, I've never written one before, but I can just picture like a kind of a Dylan type thing, you know, or, or maybe, may, maybe like that type of area, 
of uh, what Woody Guthrie type thing, just singing about about this one man who wanted to stand up against against needing to get a license so that he could put down some traps. It 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 really is the type of thing I could picture. You know what? Justice like my dad for doing. trappers is what I'm saying. Yes, justice yeah. for trap. We're all about everyone's talking about the animals getting trapped. What about the trappers? No, because I who's I looking after up, them? I grew up in in the middle of nowhere in Cork, basically, and the amount of people who just who it would be no bother to them to tax their tractor or their like old Toyota Starlet that they have outside. But they just don't want to do it because it's just there. It's just like no, no. That I just would rather. That it's like their little, their little. Well, I think, and them. I think you see, I think that's what Albert Johnson tapped into. Like, let's face it, we all get a bit of a thrill from not paying our TV license. Like, Fred is on RTE. I'm pretty sure we don't have a TV license. Like, it's that you know, it's these little victories. That's what keeps us. I think that's just got what keeps us rebellious, keeps that re- rebel spirit going. You know, when I when I was in transition year, we d- we could do like these stupid modules of just you know basically transition year is just babysitting anyway. It's just babysitting people in secondary school. It's just like okay, we'll give you a year off, well <laughs> before you go before you have to do more more health stuff. But we we could do a module where we could learn karate, uh, once a week for like a. a a three month period. And the the woman who was teaching us was this woman from America called Peggy. I can't remember her last name, but she talked about moving over. And the first day that she had moved over to Ireland with her, her husband was Irish, I think, and they'd moved over and they were unpacking their stuff in, in Balancholic. A guy came up in a suit and said, oh, I'm just here to, I'm the TV license inspector. And she laughed in his face. She just said, why the hell do I need a license for a TV? And he said, no, no, you need this. I'll, I'll be back next week. And she said, she, she said, oh, no, I'm, I'm not paying that. And I, I can see really her and the mad trapper, I think kindred But spirit. also, like only in Ireland would you approach a karate instructor day one, they're in the country and say, you need to give me a TV license. Peggy, just so you know, Peggy does karate. Peggy needs to do what Peggy needs to do. Peggy plays by her own rules. Oh, Peggy, Peggy was a, for the like three months that she would see us once a week, she was an incredible influence on, on me and my friends. We really, you know, what would Peggy do? Is, is it's it the for way Peggy. We Peggy yeah. take yes. the wheel. Yeah, yes, yes. I've well, got the stickers. I tell you, Roger, it's been an absolute pleasure. You are one of my favourite comedians. I was only recently singing your praises with the lovely Shane Daniel Byrne, who sadly, the comedy career just isn't, it's not going well for Shane yeah. at the moment. But like, he's a lovely guy. And he I'm was saying how much he admires your work. Yeah, I think he just needs to, you know, keep in there, is what I'm saying. You know, hang yeah. on. Like he's, he's He'll find his audience. Right. He will. One day he will find them. And he was saying how brilliant you are. We absolutely love you. You have a fantastic podcast as well, which I think is right up any crime lander's alley. Do you want to tell us about it, Roger? Yeah, it's a conspiracy, unexplained, supernatural podcast called Unexplained Legends, where uh, me and uh, my co-host, Dennis Lynn, another great comedian, uh, every week, I, I'm a real conspiracy nut. I present him with some of my favourite spooky stories and he all he does is undermine me at every turn 
Well, listen, it's such a good one. And if you, um, obviously, when you're done listening to Crimeland, do check it out. I was going to say head straight over there, but like, let's not lose the run of ourselves. Okay, finish the episode out, then head over. Roger, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for getting involved. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Roger. Thanks so much for having me, Julie. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.